God, we give you thanks for your word. Lord, we pray this morning that we would have eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts and minds that are open to the way that you want to work through it today. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this morning I'm just going to jump straight in. Uh, no anecdotes, no fun, interesting stories or things. Um, I'm going to go for it. I'm going straight in. Uh, so there's a phrase that I wish we could collectively eliminate from our vocabularies. Might step on your toes a little bit, right? I think we've probably all been guilty of saying this at one point another, or another, so are you, are you ready for it? All right, here's the phrase. Those people, right? And, it, and that's the tone, right, that we take oftentimes when we're, we're are we okay? All right. And that's the tone, right, that we take sometimes when we're making this phrase, right? Oh, those people, condescending, right, all kinds of things. Fill in the blank, right, with your descriptive adjective of those types of people. Oh, you aren't one of those Democrats or Republicans, are you? Oh, that way of acting, it's so typical of those whites or blacks or Hispanics or Asians. Look at those teenagers over there, right? Likely up to no good. That last one bothers me particularly because right, many of you know that I work with the teenagers here at our church. And I can, I can tell you all kinds of stories about the challenges of working with teenagers, but for that to be the first assumption that comes into our mind when we see teenagers together, right? It's a, it's a, it's a problem. And I don't think I need to stand up here and tell you that this way of thinking is wrong, right? But there's something about us, and our collect even gets into this, right? Did you hear in our collect it talks about the frailty of our natures? It can be so easy if we don't have the Lord in mind, right, to slip into this us versus them kind of mentality. And I get it, like crossing cultural borders, is it's hard, it's tricky, right? Any of you who have traveled abroad or done ministry in a different kind of context or, or been in a, in a situation where you aren't part of the majority and you're used to being part of the majority, right? There, there are challenges involved in that. I'm not saying that those challenges aren't there. But creating stereotypes and prejudice is so much easier a lot of times than making ourselves uncomfortable with the difference of others, right? And that's hard because we don't like being made to feel uncomfortable or perhaps incompetent, right? When we those, those people, we put people in boxes. We don't give them a chance to speak for themselves. We're at risk of not seeing the image of God that is in every single person. The good news of the kingdom of God that Jesus was about was hardly concerned with our comfort. In our gospel text today, we actually have an unlikely hero from the Jewish perspective of Jesus' day. The hero of the story is a Canaanite woman. She bravely pushes through cultural barriers and engages in what's a really awkward exchange with Jesus, right? And why does she do this? Because she has an unshakable faith 
that Jesus is who he says he is, right? That he is the Messiah, that he is God's anointed. She boldly throws herself, right, quite literally in the story, at the feet of Jesus because she expects him to be merciful because she's looking for a merciful God. So this morning, I want to challenge us towards this kind of tenacious faith that we see in this Canaanite woman, right? A faith that breaks social norms and barriers because in the breaking of these barriers sometimes, that's where the love and mercy of God can be put onto display. So I think it's actually impossible to truly understand this text if we don't take the racial and ethnic and gender makeup of the characters into account. That's all operating in the background, and if we're not going to look at those things carefully, we might miss some things. So to set the scene, right, and this is happening even prior to our reading, right, the first few verses of, of Matthew chapter 15, what's happening before this is that Jesus, right, a male Jewish religious leader of his day, he has challenged some of the practices and the teachings of the other Jewish leaders of his day. It was undoubtedly a tense moment, and so, so much so, right, that the beginning of our passage that we pick up in our gospel reading, it talks about how Jesus and his followers have withdrawn to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Why is that important? Well, from a Jewish perspective, Tyre and Sidon is enemy territory. This is Gentile land inhabited by some of Israel's greatest enemies in the Old Testament, the Canaanites. It's not clear, right, why Jesus and his disciples are here, but you almost get the sense that they're kind of waiting for things to blow over, right? They're, and they're going to precisely the sort of place that the religious leaders aren't going to chase them, right? So that's the scene. That's the, the background. That's what we're walking into when we hear this text. And it's here in Gentile territory that Jesus is sought out by a Canaanite woman. Notice the way that she addresses him. She calls him both Lord, she calls him the son of David. Really interesting. So I think you could take that word Lord, there's a way of reading it where it sounds like a, a, a term of respect, right? Like sir in our culture. There's a way you could read that. But when you put Lord together with this other description of Jesus, right? Son of David, it's really, really interesting. Clearly, right, this woman, she's knowledgeable about the God of Abraham and all of his descendants, right? These people who were her family's enemies for generations upon generations. And she's seeking after Jesus because of the great love that she has as a mother, right? Why is she seeking after Jesus? Her daughter is being oppressed by something demonic and she wants healing, right? That's why she's here. That's why she's stepping out in faith. That's why she's ready to do things that culturally speaking would look strange, wouldn't be okay. So Jesus, right, the great physician who casts out demons like he's taking an evening stroll, he doesn't respond. He doesn't respond to the request. Did you catch that in the reading? What? So Jesus, what, what gives here? 
right? This is like your Jesus thing, this exorcism stuff. I think it's safe to assume that she also just doesn't ask about this once, right? Look at what the disciples say. The disciples beg for Jesus to send her away. She won't stop asking us to heal her daughter, right? That's how great and tenacious her faith is. Again, as we've mentioned, right, for this woman to make this request on Jesus and his followers, she is pushing it up against all sorts of societal norms of the day, right? Unfortunately, in that day, women were also, were often perceived as second-rate citizens. And then you add into that mix the fact that she is of an ethnic background that's unfriendly to the Jews, right? But she persists. She doesn't give up. She keeps asking for mercy. So Jesus's response, it continues to be really strange. So first silence, and now something that you could maybe interpret as an excuse. What does Jesus say? He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I was sent to save the people of Israel with the subtext of that being, not those Gentiles. And as we've seen in our Old Testament reading, our Psalm this morning, our New Testament reading, there's a really clear biblical trajectory in which God's chosen people, the Jews, to borrow language from our Romans passage, they were supposed to be the first fruits, not the only bit, but the first fruits of God's blessing. And their blessing was then supposed to be a way in which the rest of the world, all the nations of the earth, were supposed to be blessed. And some of the challenge of Israel is that they didn't get that, right? They wanted to keep that to themselves. They didn't let God's light shine in and through in what they were doing. And so while it's true that Jesus did have a ministry first to the Jews, It was precisely this way that was going to open a way of inclusion for the Gentiles, not because either Jews or Gentiles were of great moral character or anything that they had done, but simply because of the magnitude of God's love and God's grace for all of his people. So the woman, right, she's she's not going to have it from Jesus, and she bows down and begs again for healing, right? What does she say? Again, using this this title for him, Lord, help me. And then Jesus' next response is perhaps the most scandalous of all. He calls the Gentiles dogs. So in first century Israel, it's important to note that dogs were not just the cute house pets that we often think of them, but they were kind of scavengers in a general nuisance. So when he calls them dogs, we're not thinking about our cute beloved pets at home, right? You're thinking about wild dogs, spreading disease, and all kinds of things like that. So where are we at in the story? Jesus has ignored her. He's told her she isn't the right type of person to receive his blessing, and now he's called her a dog. Like, what? Right? This, this, this doesn't seem to match the character of Jesus, of who we think of Jesus, right? What, what gives here? Right, and if I were in this woman's shoes, I might walk away at this point, right? I might give up. Okay, 
someone spit in Jesus's camel skin jug this morning, right? He, he's, he's not up for this healing right now. Maybe I'll come back another time, right? But again, tenacious. She stays there. She knows God's character, and she's hanging in there. She, and she does this amazing thing, right? She twists what should sound like an insult really cleverly and with humility. Here's what she says, right? Because this is the insult Jesus says. It's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she responds, yes, Lord. Again, right? Still using Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Even the dogs get the little scraps of blessing from the children. In fact, what's really fascinating about this, and those of you who've maybe been around the Anglican Church for a while, you'll know that what this woman says has a direct parallel in one of our prayers. It's, it's a great prayer of Thomas Cramer. It's called the Prayer of Humble Access. We pray this sometimes in some seasons during communion. Let me, let me read this prayer to you. And hear the resonance in what the woman says in this prayer that we all pray together. We do not presume to come to this, your table, O merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your abundant and great mercies. We are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table. But you are the same Lord whose character is always to have mercy. Grant us, therefore, gracious Lord, so to eat the flesh of your dear son, Jesus Christ, and to drink his blood, that our sinful bodies may be made clean by his body, and our souls washed through his most precious blood, that we may evermore dwell in him, and he in us. Amen. Right? Do you hear that, that parallel? Isn't it beautiful, right? And this is something that we're all invited to say Jew or Gentile or anything in between, right? We are all in this place where when we come before the Lord, that our posture is a posture of asking for mercy. Uh, we have a saying in, in liturgical circles. It's a Latin phrase, lex orande, lex credende. You've maybe heard some of us say this before, which roughly translates something along the lines of the law of prayer is the law of belief. Um, Father Robert actually has his own take on this that he says in the beginning of our services a lot of times. Right? He says things right when he talks about the bulletin, you need a bulletin to follow along. What does he say? We believe these words that we say and that we pray, Right? And so this prayer, it's a reminder that we don't approach God's table when we gather for communion because we are so righteous or we are so awesome, which, right, can also lead you to think that other people who might be approaching the table may not be as awesome and righteous as you, right? But we all do this because God is merciful, right? We see that mercy most clearly displayed in Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, where he bears our sin, and we in turn bear his righteousness, right? We are invited to pray this, a prayer of tenacious faith, right? That this is true, like the Canaanite woman, imploring with God in his mercy to not only share his blessing in life with us, but also then, right, that as we receive those blessings, that we might then go and share that love and blessing with everyone around us. That's what's at play when we have communion together. 
So Jesus' response to this woman now, right, it's wholly different than everything that has preceded it. He blesses the woman. He calls her faith great. And what's amazing about this is that this woman has seen the truth of Jesus far before all the other disciples, right? Her confession of Jesus in this moment, it happens before Peter's great confession. Isn't that fascinating? No one else in all of Matthew's gospel is called someone who is great in faith. So according to Kenneth Bailey, who is an expert in Middle Eastern culture and a Bible commentator and writer, he, he has this idea that I looked at this week, and I think there's something there to this. He thinks that Jesus' strange behavior might best be seen as a test both for the woman and for the disciples around him. And here's what he means by that. His thought is that Jesus's interaction with her, it doesn't actually represent what Jesus thinks, but rather it's reflectives of, of the beliefs and the practices of the people of their day, right? And all of that happens so that the great faith of this Canaanite woman might be seen more clearly, right? Because if Jesus had just simply healed her on command, right, which he was clearly capable of doing, we wouldn't have this fascinating and beautiful exchange where we see the strength of her faith, where she so clearly knows who Jesus is. I think it's a reminder, right, that, that sometimes... Lies need to be exposed and challenged for what they are, right? Because isn't that what happens in this exchange? The lie about how the Gentiles are excluded is it's, it's, it's exposed for being simply not true. So to wrap all of this up, what does this mean for us? I think it's a reminder for us to always be looking for the mercy of God to challenge our assumptions about those people right? Do we have that big of a view of God's mercy? And if we have a big view of God's mercy, are we actually living like we have that big of a view of God's mercy in the things that we say, in the way that we think, in how we interact with others? So many of you know that I am, I am not originally from this area. I'm a, I'm a West Coaster, um, the, the most time I've ever spent in the South was in Florida, right, which is kind of not really the South, prior to, to coming and living here. Um, and as someone who hasn't spent a lot of time in the South and growing up on the West Coast, right, very different cultural context and all those things, I've had to have my own stereotypes about the South challenged in living here, right? This isn't just like... like a thing that's out there that exists, right? This is the stuff that I'm wrestling with in my own heart about the way that I perceive people, about the way that I treat people, about the assumptions that I make, right? Different doesn't always mean bad or wrong. Jesus was a breaker of these kinds of social norms so that God's mercy might be revealed. Um, Father Robert mentioned this a couple weeks ago when he was kind of talking about the beginning of school happening, and this is something that I often say to our student ministry group, but one of the ways we, I try to put this on the ground for them in their lives is that when you're at school or 
when you're hanging out with people or when you're in your extracurricular activities, who are those people that are being left out, right? Because those are precisely the types of people that Jesus would befriend, that Jesus would notice, right? Maybe the people who don't quite fit in. Did you catch that bit about God being the God of the outcasts in our Old Testament reading? Right? And, and that's not something that's just true for teenagers, right? Maybe that stuff can get heightened in teenage years, but it's true for adults too, right? There, we, we know people that are being left out for all kinds of different reasons. Is that uncomfortable sometimes? Sure, it is. But the grace of the gospel is that, we, is that Jesus can turn enemies into friends, Right? Prayer of humble access, it puts us all on equal footing despite our different backgrounds and stories, right? We all are in need of God's mercy, and we all can be places in which God's mercy and his love can be extended. And when we reach across the aisle to those different than us, however it might be that we quantify those differences, we are doing this, right, not in our own strength, right, in, in the frailty of our nature, so to speak. But we do this in the grace and mercy of Jesus with the Holy Spirit as our comforter and guide. Um, in closing, I want to I share another prayer from our prayer book. This is a prayer for the diversity of races and cultures. Join me as we conclude. O God, who created all peoples in your image, we thank you for the diversity of races and cultures in this world. Show us your presence in those who differ from us and enrich our lives with their fellowship until our knowledge of your love is made perfect in our love for all your children. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord.